flagging 201. That's next on Inside the SCCA, presented by Blaze Coaching. Dion, what question do you get the most before someone decides to, to get a coach? Rather than the question, I'm going to say the number one comment we get is, Dion, you know, I want a coach, but I need to get faster first. I need to get my new personal best. That is the absolute wrong way to think about things. The right time to get a coach is today. The next best time is tomorrow. When drivers spend more time trying to add speed without the right fundamentals, without the right systematic approach, you're increasing risk and you're forming more strength than bad habits to take us more time to fix. So go ahead, send your video in today. Doesn't need to be the perfect lap. Doesn't need to be the perfect session. We can look at your fundamentals, even if you make mistakes and give you actionable tips to start going faster and being safer today. That's Dion Von Mulkey, Rolex 24 and Sebring 12 hour race winner and co-founder of Blaze Coaching. For more info, go to blaze.io. Links to the runoffs packages are in the show notes. My guest on this episode of Inside the SCCA, presented by Blaze Coaching, is the 2022 SCCA Flagging Communications Worker of the Year. You're shaking your head, Ben. It's still somewhat unbelievable. <laughs> ben Tyler is our guest. He, uh, is it North Carolina region and now everywhere other region in the Northeast that you're the flag chief? Uh, not northeast, southeast. Southeast, okay. Uh, first off, thanks for having me, Brian. Um, and it was great to finally meet you in person at runoffs this it, year. It was. Very cool. Uh, um, yes, I am the flag chief for North Carolina region. Uh, I am the acting flag chief for South Carolina region. And because I didn't have enough on my plate, <laughs> I have just accepted the uh, flag chief position for uh, Central Carolina's region. Okay. Um, so so that covers VIR, um, yep. Carolina Motorsports Park. Yep. And Kershaw? Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and then uh, NCR also has a second track, uh, sort of. Uh, it's it's called NC Car. Okay. I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but we use it for a time trial program. Oh, okay. Um, and luckily, I have a... Um, a very competent uh, flagger that has taken on the uh, flag chief position for the time trial program. It's great. Cool. So, so that's one less thing on my plate. There you go. So how, how long, how, how did you get started doing this thing? I mean, we all have our story. What's yours? So I didn't really have a choice. Um, <laughs> I joined SCCA at two weeks old. Um, and the only reason it was that long is because back then, uh, in the mid eighties, the home office was in Denver right? and Denver was shut down for Christmas break. And so my chief registrar mother was not able to, <laughs> uh, get me added to the family membership until the office reopened in January. Okay. Uh, so my parents met because my uh, father was building race motors for my mom's brother, uh, Formula Fords. Um, and eventually they both became flaggers um, so that they could work uh, Formula One in Detroit. Uh, <laughs> my mother actually flagged the Formula One race pregnant with me. Uh. Uh, and 
I am the reason why pregnant women are no longer allowed in hot areas <laughs> at uh, Formula One races. So they they saw that she was pregnant and went, oh, well, we'll put you somewhere in a nice uh, cold area. Right. And she said, no, I, I came here to flag. And they said, well, you know, you can't be in a hot area. You're, you're pregnant. And she said, show it to me in the rule book. Yeah. And they went, oh, OK, well, so now it's in the rule okay. book. And now it's in the rule book. So that's a good story. Um, I am still a 37 year member of Cincinnati region. Um, I maintain my original region of record. Uh, and because I am now down in the southeast, I've got uh, North Carolina region as my secondary uh, region. Right. And uh, yeah. So do you have a five digit member number? I do. Wow. I do indeed have a five digit member number. I'm so mad because because <laughs> honestly, I had a five bit digit number and yeah. then I had a, you know, life happens and. I took a break for, I think, a year or maybe not yeah. even an entire year. And uh, back then there was no way to go and, you know, pay for an extra half a year to get your to keep your number. Yeah. So I got my new number and uh, and I've had that happen a couple times now. So my, my number doesn't look like I've been in the club for more than maybe five or six years because um, every every couple of years I've had, you know, just that six month lapse. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, I'm yeah. and I'm too cheap to go back and pay, figure make them figure out what years I'd have to pay for to go get that new that last number. Um, well, because I joined the, uh, in '86. Okay, so, so I joined uh, January of '85. Okay, which means you're a little younger than I am. If you joined when you were two, um, two weeks old, two weeks old, two weeks old. Yeah, definitely yeah. A, a little younger than I am. I was yeah. 16 when Dad started back racing again. Um, so what is your first memory of being at the racetrack? Ooh. So this is not necessarily a good memory. <laughs> However, uh, it's one of two. And the only reason I don't know which was first is because they were both the same summer and I don't know the timeline. Sure. Um, but – one memory involves uh, standing on top of the grandstands at Indianapolis Raceway Park and watching Formula Fords flipping down in turn one. Ooh. And the other memory is standing on the top of the grandstands at Indianapolis Raceway Park and watching spec racers flipping down at turn one. So <laughs> that's an indelible uh, mark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure which is the first. Right. Um, but it was kind of destined for me to be a flagger. Right. Um, growing up, it was always, you know, when you turn 18, you'll start doing this too. And it's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't actually start until 19. Uh, there were some health issues with my, my father. Mm. Um, and so we kind of took a year off. Still were in the club, but didn't make any races that year. Um, and then, uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, Judy Cowie and Bob Cowie, uh, mm -hmm. the summer I was 19 said, okay, you know, you, you got to come to the track, come, come flag. Right. And so my first event was up at mid Ohio right. and it was SVRA. Um, so Cincy region, you're, I guess, IRP, which is now for, 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 for the youngins, Lucas oil raceway park and mid Ohio and, and Nelson, right? 
So we didn't do Nelson a whole lot. Okay. Um, we, we pretty much only went there when we crewed for uh, a Formula Ford. Got it. Okay. Um, friend of friend of the family. Right. Um, the the parents didn't particularly like to flag at Nelson. Okay. Um, so I never got a chance to, to work Nelson yet. I'm right. kind of chomping at the bit to go back now that it's kind of reopened. Sure. Sure. Um. And then the other tracks that my family went to were, you know, Blackhawk and Road America and all of them. Uh, but I was never allowed to travel that far. Yeah. I always had to go stay with grandma and grandpa. Blackhawk and Road America were my home tracks growing up. And uh, okay. I didn't start flagging until because growing up, I was always dad's crew. And on a rare occasion after I turned 18, I got to drive. So okay. um, and and so my first uh, my first. Driver school was at Mid Ohio, or was it at Road America? Well, one of them was Mid Ohio, one of them was Road America. I think it was Mid Ohio first, then Road America, and then. Uh, but yeah, Blackhawk was my first track that I ever went to to work a race. Um, that was when Dad got back into racing in '86. So yeah, I, I I know all I know the stomping grounds. So yep. All right, so we we are here today because we talked about this when we were at uh, VIR for the runoffs. That uh, I want to continue on with my series of 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 kind of uh, uh, inside the SCCA University. Uh, we did the first one in flagging with Don Dredden. We did flagging 101, kind of an overview of what it's like if you're the, you know just showing up for the first time and you you know you you wear the wrong color clothes because you don't know you're supposed to wear white and you don't bring a rain jacket because you don't know it could rain and we race in the rain all, all that kind of stuff. So now we want to go a little bit deeper and and we're going to go. Do 201 today, and then I'll probably find another flag chief from somewhere else to do 301 and another one to do uh, 401. Uh, but we've decided that th- uh, 201 is going to be basically a, a, an overview of how we do our flags, everything except for the blue flag. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff, uh, the yellow flag, the uh, the black flag, the, the debris flag, or the oil flag, all that kind of stuff. And then 301, we're going to do, uh, we're going to talk about communicating. Um, I think whoever I get to do that, we're going to actually do some scenarios and do some role playing and uh, kind of look at the good ways and the bad ways, because I'm really good at, at doing bad, bad radio. So um, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be a good uh, teacher's, teacher's uh, whipping, whipping boy here for that. And then at the end, we'll do another one for uh, 401, and we're going to do blue flagging, because Ben, you and I talked, and I think blue flagging is an art. Um, in and of itself to do it really well and it's kind of like the last thing a flagger perfects right and and, and i don't think it's even perfectible absolutely yeah absolutely so, um yeah i i can't agree more on that yeah and i love blue flagging it is the coolest thing in the world so and i got a great story about how i nearly wrecked two formula atlantics because i was blue flagging poorly but uh we'll we'll tell you that I... one in 401 <laughs> yeah so all right. I th- I threw one blue flag at runoffs and it caused a three car wreck. Well, let's so. just say I threw a, a uh, I threw a blue flag thinking I was holding a yellow flag. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> oh, we've we've all done that at some point in time. <laughs> we've definitely all done that at some point. Yeah. All right. So, so let's start with the flag that I think is probably the most important flag in our bag, and or should we work up to that one? Let's work up to that one. Let's work your up. your your choice. <laughs> so let's not. So let's start with the flag that we hope to use the least, and that's the red flag. Um, okay. Tell us what the what the 
the circumstances are when a red flag could be thrown, and then we'll talk about how we do that at the at the corner stations. Okay. So the red flag, um, as alluded to in uh, Don's one hundred and one podcast, uh, the corner station does not make the call to use that flag. That is only ever going to come from race control. Um, most Corner captains will actually keep the red a little bit separate um, from the rest of the flags just to make sure that somebody doesn't accidentally grab it um, and, and put it out. Uh, but what it means with SCCA is come to a safe and, and controlled stop uh, on the edge of the track uh, within sight of the next station. Um, invariably when it does get used somebody stops just past a station not yet to where they can see the next station um or they slam on the brakes thinking they've got to stop immediately right now um and both of those situations can can cause problems in their own right um so and we're going to dabble a little bit in radio because that's going to kind of give you your hints on when to use stuff um the red is almost never used i can aside from driver schools i'm pretty sure i could count on one hand the number of times i've actually seen one used um in in a real situation in what 16 17 years i've been flagging right um so yeah, it's almost never used, but it's one that you need to be aware that it can be used. And the biggest thing that's going to cause that to come out is going to be a hundred percent track walk. Correct. Yep. Um, if if a station has an incident that has cars across the entire track, we need to make sure that there are no cars coming barreling into that incident. Um, or even slowly into the incident because right. you don't want to to exacerbate what's going on, whether there is a response going on um, to an incident, whether there is, you know, no room for cars to get through, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, and, and, and you can have a traffic jam caused by cars that haven't hit anything at that incident, and that could could slow the, the, the response of the, the emergency crews, the ambulance, the fire truck, whatever. So absolutely. Um, and that's something you really want to avoid, especially if, you know, you, you're the driver who needs the help. So and, and one thing I think we should mention here, and I, and I will put this in in the teases for this is um, I think this episode is as important for flaggers to listen to as it is for drivers, because sometimes yeah. I think our drivers kind of forget what flags are supposed to be. Uh, at least they certainly act like it on occasion. Um, no, so- they, they absolutely do. Um, I actually had a and we'll get to this later. Um, I had an incident at VIR earlier in the year uh, where a driver got out and was complaining that the station had the wrong flags up. And when I was talking with him about the situation, um, it turned out that, no, it was flagged completely appropriately. He just didn't understand what the flags were used for. So, yeah, this is definitely not just for flaggers. This is great for everybody. Right. So one of the things that's important as a flagger is to listen and 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 whoever's on on the radios to listen to the situation as it develops, because yes. you will know on a red flag situation pretty much before it's called for. 
that you're going to be asked to deploy it. You know, the minute that you hear, depending on where you're at, is either emergency or mayday, depending on what part of the country you're in, that's your first thought, okay, I might need a red flag. And then when they give you that first description, they will say something like, we've got three quarters of the track cover, uh, blocked. We've got all of the 100% track blockage. Those are your cues that um, the whoever's going to be throwing a red flag might need to do it. Um, this yes. is also the situation where you don't put, leave that red flag in the bag because you say, oh, we never use that one. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely not. Because <laughs> I've yeah. seen people do that where they put that flag, you know, the, 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 the yeah. <laughs> the, yes. The, the meatball flag um, can usually stay in the bag because most we don't throw that at the corners at all. But uh, the black flag and the red flag sometimes stay in that bag. Is, oh, we don't need that. We don't use that one. You got to pull it out. Have it ready. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, definitely pull it out. But again, I, I'm one of the ones that I will keep it a little bit separate. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Put it within arm reach of my communicator um to make sure that my communicator has it so that if they are you know hearing those cues um they can kind of start reaching for it and you know kind of thinking about it and um, oftentimes it is the flag the communicator who will throw it because it's very likely that your yellow flagger will be double yellow and won't have a fourth hand to be able to throw the red flag yeah yeah so. um but. So the the way I will normally run it um, when I'm a corner captain is the communicator will put the flag out and then the blue flagger will take it from them once right. it's out. Yep. Um, so, yeah. All right. uh, other situations that it'll get used for um, is if there is a situation, even if we don't have 100% track blockage, but we need to get emergency vehicles immediately. Um, occasionally will get used. Um, earlier this year, VIR implemented a new policy where if there is a fire, we go automatic red flag hmm. um, so that the fire truck can get moving as soon as possible. Um, we didn't experience that at runoffs. They kind of played by some different rules at runoffs. Um, so we'll see if uh, VIR lets us play by the runoffs rules coming up next right. year, or if we go back to um, the kind of the rules we've been using. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on to the two black flags. Okay. Um, also, the flags that we like to use the least. Um, yes. And there'll only be one corner station in theory that will use um, that will use the meatball flag. And yep. then uh, that same corner station would be the corner station who would use the black flag the most. And then there are opportunities for a black flag all. So let's go through first. Uh, let's go first the meatball flag and how is that used and implemented? Okay. So uh, just like the red flag, a meatball flag will only ever come from race control. Um, and it's only ever used usually two places on a track. One is the start stand. Uh, the other is going to be what's called Black Flag Station. Uh, Black Flag Station will have uh, at least one additional flag with the meatball. Usually the set also will include a checker just um, for those rare instances. Um, but it, it's basically they get a starter's uh, flag set. Right. Uh, and then they also get a number board um, so that they can put numbers up 
so that you know if if we're meatballing you know car 162 you know and, and car 162 is in a big group of cars you know we don't want to show a meatball flag to that big group of cars and have that entire group of cars pit <laughs> we want to show a number along with it so that they know so that everybody else knows no 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 it's not me it's it's car 162 yeah um and i can't tell you the number of times that we've black flagged a car with a number board and a different car has answered the black flag oh, <laughs> happens yeah, all the time it, invariably yeah um and always feel a little bit bad about that but at at a certain point it's kind of on them not you know right. as long as you did your job right um so and and me- just for the drivers who might be listening while we would love you know for you to answer the black flag on the first time you see it you do get a second chance to see it before there's a bigger penalty so yeah. if you do think you may have gotten a black flag there's nothing really wrong with waiting to see it one more time to make sure it's your number. Um, that's in the rules for a reason. Um, you know, if you know it's your number, then just come on in. Um, but if you're yeah. at all unclear and uh, then then just wait for one more flag station to see what, you know, whether it's you or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the specifics of why a car would get meatballed. Um, it's also known as a mechanical black. Right. Um, and it's because there is something mechanically unsound uh, about your car, whether that is um, I've seen it done for somebody forgot to put the window net up. Right. Um, seen it with somebody dragging an exhaust, Oil. Um, especially if it's a leading edge on right. the exhaust. Like if it's the front edge of the exhaust that's come down, uh, they'll be more inclined to right. throw a meatball for that than if it was the the back end of the, the exhaust. Correct. Um somebody's losing you know a, a piece of body work and it's on the verge of actually coming off the car yep um somebody's leaking oil um basically something mechanical that is either unsafe to you as the driver of that car or unsafe to your competitors or other workers right um and and usually that call comes from race control the corner workers have called in something and Race controls decided that the car needs some attention. On occasion, the crew for a car will ask race control to give a driver a meatball flag because they know there's something wrong with the car and they want to get that thing in to get it fixed to either make it safer or to not cause an extreme amount of expensive damage. Correct. But either way, the call itself comes to the corner station from race control. Yep. Um, It's just a matter of who is giving race control the information right. to yeah yep all right so black flag non <laughs> non black flag meatball there are there's two ways we use it we we use it once uh as an infraction flag uh yep. you and, and actually there's three ways that we use it now that i think about it uh there's two ways that we use it as an infraction flag uh the first way is what we call the black stick Um, and, and that's basically the, um, you've done something bad. Don't do it again. Flag. It's like the, the, the nun pointing their finger at you in Catholic school. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the furled black. Don't ask me um, how I know about that nun, by the way, throwing, pointing the finger at you at Catholic school. That's, that's a, that's a completely different podcast. I, (laughs) I could say something, but I won't. That's okay. I can take it. Um, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. 
So the black stick. So black stick or furled black. Um, right. Again, that's going to come from race control. Um, again, that will come with a number board. Um, typically, that will only happen at start, uh, but every once in a while, um, the the uh, infraction will be uh, worthy of a stern enough uh, warning that they will ask for it at an, another flag station uh, or at the black flag station as well. Right. Um, but typically, it's going to only be at start. Right. Um, and that's going to, yeah, somebody was caught blocking or uh, not watching their mirrors in an aggressive way or um, more than one, like that. more than one off and on often yeah. gets a furled black flag. And a lot of times it's going to be something that this, and I just know this from working in race control and having these discussions with different operating stewards. Um, it's going to usually be something that they think the driver is going to know what it's for. Right. Um, oh, that makes sense. Because if it's something that the driver is not going to know what it's for or have an idea of what it might be for, right. they don't know what behavior to change. Exactly. Um, and so a lot of things like that will uh, – the operating steward will will request to speak to that driver at the end of the session. Right. Um, and, and they'll have a face-to-face -face conversation about it. And at um, least once a year, a driver will see a furled black flag and come into the pits. Yes. <laughs> That's not what it's there for. You know, you're supposed to just like, I, I've done something wrong, shape, shape it up. But every once in a while, a driver doesn't know what it means and we'll come in. Yes. Um, so, all right. So then the second way that we use the black flag for an infraction is a, I guess, a full black flag with a number board at start yep. and finish. And that's the, I've done something so bad that the stewards want to talk to me right now. Correct. Um, it's also known as just an open black. Sure. Um, again, that's coming from the stewards only from race control. Uh, you're not going to make that decision. Correct. Um, Again, the black flag station and start will use a number board. Um, it's not uncommon, uh, depending on the location of the black flag station, for uh, the person displaying the flag or the number to actually step out of the station a little bit mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they are uh, a little bit more noticeable because uh, drivers will tend to notice when a flagger is not where they're normally sure uh so like when i work black flag station at roebling road which is turn six uh you are in a wooden box up on top of a berm um and so what i will usually do if i've got time is i will actually get out of the box and step in front of the box hmm. up on the berm um because that way they can see my entire body in white right um and not just you know from from you know, mid chest up. Sure. Uh, I'm not in the shade of the roof from the, the wooden box. Um, and when I do that, I can usually get an acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, from a driver. Yep. Um, cool. All right. So those are all the flags that we as flaggers can't choose whether or not we use them. Uh, the can I interject with a non flag that follows the same rules? Sure. Okay. So 
this typically is only at start and or at, at start only, but more and more I'm seeing it done at Black Flag Station as well. And that is the use of a T sign for transponder huh. or an S sign for sound. Okay. Um, both of which come with no flag, um, at least initially. Uh, both come with a, a number board. Um, and both only come from race control. Yep. So the T sign is simply uh, a message from timing and scoring to the driver that, hey, your transponder is not working. Um, some drivers will have the ability to turn that on in the middle of a session from from the cockpit. Um, others, if they're you know very concerned about their times, uh, they may take the opportunity in a qualifying session to come in and pit and and have that turned on and then continue on their way. Um, soundboard uh, initially comes as a warning of you know hey you have exceeded the the uh, set decibel lim limit for this track or this time or right. whatever. Um, the first time it's going to just be the the S board. Um, different tracks will have different sound limits. Um, some tracks are more strict, and so maybe you'll get a furled black as well with the first time, and then the second time you get an open black. Um, some tracks you'll get two warnings before you get the open black. Um, so those are non-flags sure. that we use like flags. Yeah, cool. All right, so. so now to the flags that flaggers get to decide whether or not they want to throw. And, Absolutely. And everything else is a decision made at the corner station. And uh, let's start with the let's start with the white flag. Uh, most most people who don't aren't familiar with road racing, they think the white flag means one lap to go. And I think we we do that now only at start finish uh, at the SCCA. Uh, but um, at this corner stations, we use the white flag for a very different dis different reason. And how is that? So we actually use the white flag for a number of different reasons or a number of different things. The first time that most drivers will see a white flag um, is on their first outlap of uh, the day for that for their race group. Uh, they will usually see a white flag at every staffed uh, corner station. Um, and that is so that they know which stations are staffed and which ones are not. Right. Um, now, there are certain deviations from that. Um, I know Washington, D.C. region, the last time I went up and worked a bunch of their races a few years ago, uh, they used yellow flags for the Spec Miata and SSM race groups um, because those groups decided they did not want to pass each other on their outlap. Um, so rather than a white, they used a hmm. yellow. Um, at VIR, uh, for North Carolina region events, we use a waving green. Um, and the reason we use that waving green is prior to that with the waving white, or with the standing white, rather, uh, we had a number of incidents and near incidents caused by cars being slow on their outlap, um, like mechanically slow, that would require a white flag normally, which I'll get to in a second. Right. Um, and the corner station had no way to show faster cars coming up 
that there was a slow moving vehicle. Sure. So by switching to the green, we've had no incidents. Hmm. And to the best of my knowledge, we've had no near incidents either. Because when we have those slow moving vehicles, especially around blind turns like turn 10, the station will drop their green and pick up a white. Sure. Um, and drivers now see that white as meaning slow moving vehicle. Hmm. Cool. Which is a nice segue into the other reason why a white flag gets used. Uh, and that's for any slow-moving vehicle, whether that is race traffic uh, or an emergency vehicle, uh, anything like that, where right. we want to make sure drivers are aware that up ahead there is something slow that you may need to take evasive uh, action around. Great. All right, so let's talk about the green. A lot of regions okay. don't even have green flags in their flag bags. Yes. Um, it's, and and this is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, other series that you might flag with, um, yes. because that would be a typical reason. And I guess we could talk about that later. Um, but most regions don't use the green flag at the stations. Correct. Um, so the the flag sets that NCR uses um, are basically their their professional uh, flag sets from back when NCR staffed. Uh, Grand Am and other professional series at VIR. Um, and so they they happen to have the green flag in right. them. Um, most flag sets at Pro Tracks uh, will have them because of those other rule sets. Right. Um, so, you know, Mid Ohio, uh, Indy, right. uh, Road Atlanta, et cetera. Um, We're going to get most, into that a little bit later. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, but most club tracks do not have that option. Right. So. All right. We're coming to the the, 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 the last couple before we take a break and talk about the yellow flag. Um, okay. So we have the we have the debris flag. It's official name. And okay. uh, m many other folks call it the 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 oil flag. Yes. Or sometimes I'll jokingly call it the preview of coming attractions flag. <laughs> I like it. Um. Basically, anything that you you will put it out for anything that is a change in the surface condition, whether that is, you know, something slippery like uh, some kind of a oil or coolant, um, pea gravel, yeah, gravel, dust, mud, sand, set, yeah, exactly, right. um, excessive dirt, um, a little bit of dirt, not a big deal because it'll just get blown off, but. Right, you know, somebody leaves a giant pile of dirt. Right. Yeah, go ahead and throw it. Um, it's also used for any kind of, for lack of a better term, mechanical debris. Um, you know, somebody lost a mirror. Somebody lost, you know, a, a fender liner. Right. Um, the kind of basic rule of thumb I was always taught was if they could drive through it or over it uh, without damaging the car right uh surface flag right um if it's something that if they hit it it's going to cause a a secondary incident then we go to the yellow flag which we'll get to later right right um and typically we display that dis that debris or however whatever you call that flag for two laps so that uh, all of the drivers get a chance to see the flag and hopefully why it's being thrown and then if the the 
If whatever it is is still on the track after two laps, we bring that flag down and go back to green flag racing. Um, if for some reason within that two laps it gets hit and knocked off and is no longer on the track, then we can drop that flag altogether. Yeah, a lot of times I'll do one lap if it's something small. Okay. Um, two laps for usually something bigger or more severe. Or something um, you can't see. That's the other yeah, one. That too, like oil. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for oil, I'll usually do two laps unless I start seeing that nobody's having sure. traction issues. Um, and then after the first lap, we'll drop it. Right. Um, and that's one of those things. Uh, if you could hear the conversation on the corner, um, not on the corner net, but just on the corner, there's a lot of judgment call in that. Um, and being open to make changes and revisions. Um, you know, the, and this gets into the radio communication. Sometimes you will hear, you know, I'll hold it for two laps. And then, you know, Half a lap later, you'll hear, never mind, we're doing it for one lap, or you know, right. we've already dropped it. Um, and and that's where some of the artistry of just being a flagger kind of comes in of and the experience level. Right. Um, the other big thing that's very, very vital with a surface flag, do not wave it. Um, it's a pattern flag, it's red and yellow. Uh -oh. If you wave it, hmm. it's going to look like a different flag. Um, now you can rock it a little, um, a lot of times if I've got some, if I've got a lot of oil and I need somebody to slow down, I will hold it very taut perpendicular to the traffic and I will move both arms up and down together so that the whole flag moves, but there's no actual movement to the fabric. Right. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's, and we'll, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the yellow flag. Um, yeah. there, there are ways to display flags more vigorously than others. Yes. And yes. Uh, I have a story about that that we'll talk about in the, uh, in the, in the next segment. Is that all of the flags in the bag that I'm, I'm not missing one. Am I, 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 do you guys do like a, a, a purple, purple, this or purple that? I mean, I know some regions do that. Let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> You can edit this out. Let's not go there. That was a bad time at VIR. Okay. All right. So are there any other flags that I missed? I think that's all of them other than the yellow and the blue, right? I believe so. Two yellows, a blue. Yep. Okay. Green, white, surface, red, black, meatball. meatball. Yeah, we got them all. All right. So that is the time where we're going to take our break here. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about the yellow flag and uh, how it's used, both the double yellow and the, the single yellow flag. And we'll do all of that when we come back. This is Inside the SCCA, presented by Blaze Coaching. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to a race, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast, Inside the Short Bus. Dion, give me three reasons to get coaching started before the runoffs. One, we're going to make you go faster. Two, we're going to help you be safer while doing it. And three, we're going to help you have a lot of fun. The runoffs is the biggest race weekend of your season. So do you want to make the most of it? Do you want it to be the best race weekend of the year? Of course you do. We're going to give you pre-race track guides, video tracks, exercises you show up ready to go every practice day you'll be able to upload your video get coaching sessions back with specific pointers on where to go faster and how to go faster 
Number two, all of those coaching points are going to help you also go safer and be more consistent while doing it. Number three, you'll be working with freaking Ricky Taylor or Spencer Piggott or Colin Mullen, people you watch on TV. They're the ones that know VIR well, and they're going to be working one-on-one with you. You're going to have a blast working with them as well. That's Dion Von Moltke, Rolex 24 and Sebring 12-hour race winner and co-founder of Blaze Coaching. For more info, go to blaze.io. Links to the runoffs packages are in the show notes. And we're back on Inside the SCCA. Brian Belansky here with me. The uh, I know he doesn't like it when I say it because he's bashful and shy. The 2022 SCCA Flag Communications Worker of the Year, Ben Tyler. You'll get used to it eventually. <laughs> I mean, they tell me that, but... It's okay. We'll see. It's okay. So you just pulled out your flags, and yeah, we, we did forget one. And probably yep. the most important one if you're a driver. Because um, you either want to see it because you want it to be done, or you want to see it because you want to take home a big trophy, and that's the checkered flag. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably should have been fairly obvious that that was the one we had missed. Right. But again, you know, that's typically not used at a flag station. Right. Um, the one uh, example I can think of is Friday mornings at uh, three-day super tours. Uh, we will, at least at VIR, we, uh, we use a checkered flag at our black flag station because it's not a timed session. Um, and so it's not like somebody has to finish a flying lap for, you know, a grid position. Um, and it's a 3.27 mile track. Uh, a cool down lap is a very long time. Um, and so we will use it at the black flag station uh, to hopefully get everybody to pit uh, at their next time by. Um, it's got like a 85% accuracy rate. Um <laughs> Because, you know, it's not something you're necessarily used to seeing. Sure. Uh, but typically it's just used at start to end a session, whether that's practice qualifying or race. Right. Right. So. Okay. So now that I've made a fool of myself and forgotten the checkered flag, let's uh, let's get to the, the yellow flags. And I say flags plural because we use two of them sometimes and one of them on other times. And uh, so the single yellow flag is the one that will be um, that is the choice of the flag station on whether or not to use this flag. And uh, it's used in two different ways. Well, two different ways in a variation. Um, There you go. uh, The the two basic ways of using it is either standing or waving. And then there are variations of standing and waving. So um, let's get to the basics of when you would wave that one flag and when you would not wave that white, that yellow flag. And, and also just a quick rundown on, on how you would hold a standing yellow. Okay, so this is definitely going to be one of those your mileage may vary uh, based on what track you're at. Um, there are some differences, but a really good rule of thumb is uh, waving paving, standing grass. Right. Um, so if if any part of of that car um, is breaking the plane of the edge of the track, you know it does. Even if all four wheels are in the grass, but if that 
that rear bumper is hanging out over the track, we go ahead and, and go waving. Um, the, the basic idea of the yellow flag in general is to warn drivers that there is an incident in progress, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and that they may need to slow down, they may need to take evasive action, um, and then the kind of fairness of it is uh, they're not allowed to pass. Correct. Um, and part of that is, again, just the fairness of it, uh, but part of it is the safety of the the driver involved in the incident or drivers, um, any emergency vehicle workers that are there dealing with the incident or any flaggers um, that are out dealing with the incident. Right. Um, and so typically if you've got a standing, it means that the entire racing surface is clear. Um, you can slow down. Um, but be prepared to, you know, or make sure you maintain control of your car. Right. Um, whereas a waving kind of has that added oomph of, you know, there's there's extreme danger. Right. Um, be prepared to take evasive maneuver, um, slow down aggressively. Be prepared um, to stop. That's another way to put it: is be prepared to stop. Yeah. Um, so this this that's the kind of the the conversation that has to happen of whether you use a standing or a waving um and sometimes uh from your corner station you may not be able to tell if that car is on or off track even right. if it's in your your sector and we're going to dabble in the radio again um that's where it's very important for adjacent corner stations to talk to each other and, and work with each other yep. um you know a, a very prime example is uh station five at vir to station six um station six gets a lot of action drivers right before their station it's technically five's flag so five will put the flag out but we're with the slight elevation change in that area five actually can't see their track surface right um so five really can't tell if the car is in the grass or if it's bounced back onto the track right. um and so that's where five and six have to work together right and, um, and typically on the radio you will hear six say five go waving or yes. five go standing you know, yes. and and that may be the entirety of the communication. It's it's and, and, it, and it varies, like you said, from track to track or region to region. Um, but like out here in Cal Club, um, there is no need to ask race control for permission to talk to turn five, because sometimes that five seconds could be the difference between a car coming in hot and a car not coming in hot. So we just basically flat out say five go waving or whatever the number is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and we'll do the same thing here. And, and another common one you'll hear is, you know, five is waving, six take the call. Right. Yep. Uh, um, which is just letting control know that five has their flag up and they can't see enough of it. They want six to just take control of the situation. Got it. Yep. Um, and, and six may call back and say five goes standing and then go into the actual call. Um, so we'll 
I'll try to leave as much of that for 301 as possible. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely some links there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I don't want to get into a deep discussion because I know th- this is one of the most debated discussions in all of flagging and communications. Um, yes. But but there are there are some regions who believe and flag that anytime there are workers that aren't protected, there should be a waving yellow at that station. Um, I, I I'm just I'll put it out there. I don't agree with that. Um. I, I think that that tells gives the drivers the wrong message. Uh, I also think it gives the workers the wrong message that they're being protected by a flag that is not going to protect them. Um, I, I cannot agree with that more. Um, um, but that doesn't stop I, regions from flagging that way. And sometimes that's not coming from the regions. Sometimes that's coming from the track workers, the, the response team that is provided to the region by the track. And, and sometimes yes. the regions don't really have the – that really control of how that's flagged. Um, but my contention is anybody who's new listening, if you think you're being protected by a piece of cloth, you are not. Um, it's your responsibility to make sure you are safe and comfortable out there doing whatever it is you're doing, whether you're on an emergency vehicle or you're a flagger responding to a scene, which in more and more places we're not allowed to do anyway. Um, but uh, a flag will not protect a worker. So I'll I'll give some examples of this. Um, I I was trained by Lake Erie Communications at Mid Ohio. Um, I was trained to play in traffic. Me too. I play in traffic quite a lot. Um, I have actually been on the hot side of a fence and told a station to go no flag because I was so far clear of the track mm-hmm. that if a driver saw a flag, they wouldn't see the incident. Right. Um, and so. There was no reason to tell that driver that there was an incident to watch for, right? Because all you're going to do is is teach them that a yellow flag at that station doesn't mean that there's an actual incident right. there. Because um, the drivers are taught what these flags are supposed to mean. Yes. And if, if a driver is seeing a waving yellow flag, it's expecting to that driver is expecting to see something on the racetrack, yes. which could cause them to do something differently. Yes. And if you start sending the message that a yellow flag doesn't mean that, the one time when there is something on the track that needs attention and could cause a driver to stop, that driver is going to go, well, last time I saw a waving yellow, there was nothing on the racetrack, and I may not do the slowing down or the preparing that I need to stop because maybe there's nothing here. Right, exactly. Um, and and so it's, it's kind of... Um almost behavioral training that we maybe don't want to do. Right. Um, now, now, going back to boots on the ground, though, VIR is one of those tracks that mandates that we go waving anytime there's boots on the ground, and that includes not just their EV workers, um, but also a driver getting out of a car mm-hmm. or a worker responding. Um, and so my instructions at a flag meeting are – you can adjust how you're waving a flag. Um, if it's something, you know, 150 yards off the track, do just a big, broad, lazy, slow waving right. flag um, so that a driver knows the difference between a, a waving yellow for something way off in the distance right. versus something that's on track. I, I call it the difference between the oh shit waving yellow and the standard waving yellow. 
Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, yeah. and and anybody who's been on a quarter knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you yep. know, and 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 that goes to how we wave our flags and how we display our flags. And we talked about how you can you can convey different messages by the way you display a flag. So. Yeah. Like you said, you're low, slate, slate, lazy. That that just that tells the driver that, okay, there's something, you know. But if you're waving that flag like Armageddon's 50 yards down the racetrack, a driver's going to understand what that means. Yes, absolutely. Um, I believe Don Drennan called it the body English, and, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't couldn't describe it better. Yep. Um, and if we want to get back to the standing yellow. We can talk about the body English of that. You know, we'll jump ahead a little bit with the dance. Um, typically, yellow flagger is watching downstream, blue flagger is watching upstream. Incident happens, yellow flagger spins, blue mm-hmm. flagger spins to match. And the, the science behind that is the person displaying the flag needs to always be the one watching traffic coming at them. Correct. Yep. Um, and that's why the sorry, the reason why is if I'm I'm standing yellow for a car that's off and you know I'm just holding it stationary, I'm not moving it, I'm not rocking it, I'm not, you know, messing with it at all. And I see a car coming in who obviously is not watching the flag station, does not right. see it, and I see him trying to make a pass. I can start shaking that flag a little and start adding some movement um, and get their attention. Right. Um, whereas if I've got my back to traffic, you know, yeah, my blue flag is still watching my back, but th- I'm not able to add that body English. Right. Um, likewise, if if I have something that is in the grass, but it's pretty close to track out of a corner. Um, I'll go ahead and put that body English on that that standing right. to begin with, um, because yeah, it's not on the track. Uh, but you know, if I've got spec Miatas, you know, that extra foot and a half, two feet of grass uh, on track out, that's kind of their line. <laughs> so yeah. technically, it's not the track, eh, but it kind of is. Right. So, so I was flagging a the one time that Indy Lights raced on, um, oh, what is that island? Saint Simon's Island. Island. Hutchinson Island. You were at that race. I was at that race. Oh, I'm jealous. And and so it's a, it's it's essentially an Indy car race. It was Indy Lights. So yes. Indy Indy car was it was race control. And and usually all of this body language, whether you're going to rock it, whatever you do, it's a decision you make at the corner um, because you've got the eyes there. You're seeing what's going on. You know what you, you, you your instincts tell you how to wave that flag. So we have an incident. There's two laps to go in the race. There's been several full course yellows and they don't want to end the race on a full course yellow. And I am told from race control. I don't remember what turn it was. Um, please display a vigorous standing yellow for the next two laps. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I think I know what that means. Um, yeah. But what they were asking me to do was to to throw the body English into yeah. that waving yellow to give that the drivers coming a more more of an, an, an uh, more information 
so that they would slow down a little bit more, hopefully, and <laughs> uh, and get through that situation. So, yes, the one and only time in my two decades of flagging uh, that I was ever told by race control to throw to to display a vigorous standing yellow. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm jealous. That is an amazing track. I've I've worked several vintage events there. Uh, it was a blast. It yeah. was an absolute blast. And uh, you, I I believe that Mr. Drennan was there with me. Um, we were, we were. That was my time when I was working when I was an Atlanta region member. Okay. And and working all those races. Um, but the, yeah, fantastic weekend. So the biggest rattlesnake I've ever seen Ugh. was on a corner station there. I, I I'm I'm glad you told me that now because I I have Indiana Jones snake phobia. <laughs> yeah, I I'm more scared of snakes than Indy Jones. So oh wow, that, okay, that would have been something that I may have never come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so we're kind of running out of time here. Um, I think we've kind of covered uh the the standing waving thing. It's it's seemingly yep. fairly obvious. Um, let's real quickly just talk about. What happens because we are lucky enough as SCCA flaggers to get invited to flag for lots of cool things. Formula One, uh, IndyCar, IMSA, I, I can go on and on and on. And um, back in the day, ALMS, um, yep. I flagged for all of those. And every organization does something just slightly different. And yep. I don't know that we can should even take the time to get into them, but just understand that the rules that we use are not the same as FIA, not the same as IndyCar, not the same as any of these series. They're very similar in, in most cases. Um, but it's real important when you go to the flag meeting, um, they will talk about the differences. And oftentimes when you register for one of these events, you're going to get a little packet of information from your flag chief, which should spell out the differences. And, um, and, and that's really helpful, depending on the flag chief or the series. Um, yep. But that's, uh, you know, pay attention to that. But just understand that there are some variations on a theme. You know, it's like, you know, from Mozart to Brahms, you know, it's still it's still four four time, but it might yeah. be just a little bit different in the way that the that, that it's interpreted. So um, that's pretty pretty much all of it, isn't it? Uh, as far as uh, other sanctioning bodies. But while we're kind of talking about yellow, let's talk about passes under yellow real quick. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, because that is kind of one of the important things that that we need to do as as corner workers, um, and and it kind of goes back to the the fairness of competition. Um, but the truth of the matter is, it's a safety issue for everybody involved, um, and so it's important to keep an eye on making sure that nobody is passing under yellow, um, and if they are. You know, making sure that you can get numbers. Yep. Um, one thing that always kind of bothers me as a flag chief is uh, when people don't bother calling it in because they were the only one on their station who saw it. Um, because typically we require two witnesses. Um, however, uh, the following station or the preceding station might be that other witness. Um, a one of the drivers involved can actually be that second witness. Um, and and... I, I believe now the cameras that are in those cars that are required at, I think now all re divisional level and above after this year, I know it used to be just the super tour and the majors. 
Um, but I'm pretty certain I'll have to go back and look at the GCR. But I'm pretty yeah, certain starting remember. in in 2023, uh, basically all cars are going to be, be required to have a forward facing and a rear facing camera, except at the regional level. Um, okay. Um, but but those cameras could be a second witness. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so one of the things that I've been working on with uh, the flaggers and NCR is making sure we call every one of them. Right. Um, and and we're writing uh, witness statements on every one of them. Right. Um, because that at least gives the operating steward a starting place sure. to then talk to those drivers, see what the video says. Um a lot of times you'll have one station call in and then the following station will go, Oh, Hey, we actually saw that one also. Yep. Um, whereas, you know, if the first one doesn't call it in cause if they were the only person, maybe the second station doesn't call it in cause they were the only person. Right. Um, but the, the critical point is knowing that under SCCA's rules, um, and this is what jogged my memory when you started talking about other sanctioning bodies, uh, the these the yellow zone goes from your corner station until the last segment of the incident right um so you know if you've got three cars off it goes till the the point perpendicular on the track to where that last car is right um and and this is a good one instance maybe where we do talk about other sanctioning bodies um, some sanctioning bodies say that the yellow flag stands for passing under the yellow until you get to the next green flag. So Correct. this is the reason why you may f- find green flags in your track bag if your track hosts pro races is that um, some sanctioning bodies will want a, a green flag displayed at the first station that is green after an incident. So basically, there's no passing until you get to that green flag. Different rules, different sanctioning bodies, and each of them do it just a little bit differently. But this would be a reason why if you show up at the track for an SCCA race and there's a green flag in your bag, that might be why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And that that's kind of what I alluded to uh, earlier with pro tracks right. usually will have the green flag. Um, something else about yellow that I, I didn't think about until just now is if you've got an incident and you're waving yellow um, and cars just aren't slowing down enough, or maybe the the incident is right after your corner station, and so they don't have enough time to see your flag. Um, you could always call to that preceding station and ask yes. for backup standing yellow. Right. Um, it's not something you want to abuse, um, and and I think sometimes it does get abused. Sometimes with certain operating stewards, yes, uh, that want an automatic backup standing anytime there's a waving. Um, but that's not necessarily always needed because it, it can go back to that, uh, kind of teaching bad behavior of, we don't want drivers to start ignoring yellow flags because they always see it. Um, and, and one more comment on the having, trying to cover incidents off track with a, with a waving yellow. Let's yeah. say you've got a car, an incident off track and you've got people there and, and your rules, your 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 procedures are to be waving because there's someone not protected. So what happens when there's another incident at your corner that's actually on the racetrack? Yeah. Now you don't have a flag to show to indicate that your situation has changed 
to the oncoming drivers. So now you're showing that waving flag, which you may have been showing for three laps because there's something going on there. And the drivers are like, oh, crap, okay, there's that waving yellow. It's because there's something over there. And they're just thinking they can tool on through there. And then all of a sudden, now there's an incident. The only option you have is to go from a lazy waving to waving the living daylights out of that thing. And that's, in my opinion, not a good option. So, again, throwing my opinions out there, I'm sure I'll get a ton of comments, um, but I, I think it's just a bad precedent. No, I, I I agree. And if I could throw another thing out there, sorry. That's okay. Um, some tracks have arrow boards. Um, so VIR has them for uh, NCR events. Uh, Mid-Ohio has them. Um, I'm struggling to remember what other tracks have them, but I know I've seen them. Um, and it's simply it's it's an additional tool in in the tool belt um, that you can use to direct the traffic on what side of the track you want to go to. Right. Um, so, you know, if if you have been waving yellow for those three laps and now you've suddenly got something that's actually on, you know, driver's right, you add that arrow board um, and it's it's kind of amazing to watch the reaction of the drivers um, because they see that arrow board and they will react to it. Yeah. Um, it in the heat of the moment, it sometimes takes that extra thought as a flagger to to put it up. Um, so a lot of times it's more used during a full course yellow. Um, but those times when you get it, it's it's nice. Right. Um, let, let me add one last thing before we head out. Is the yeah. non flag flag? Yeah. Um, if if you have the luxury of having more than one or two people on your station yes. and you're in that waving yellow situation or even a standing yellow situation and you see some cars that are not slowing down enough, one of the most amazing tools is just to stand out there, make yourself look big and wave your hands in the slow down motion. Yep. Dr- drivers see that and will actually oftentimes react to that more than the flag itself. So, yeah. um, you know, there are it's anytime they see something different, right. That, that they're not used to seeing, right. um, um, you know, and you could also, um, you could also point drivers with your arms. Like if there's an incident that you want them on the outside or the inside of the track, you can wave yeah. them one way or the other, not always easy to do, not always effective, but it can be. Yeah. So, um, something else that I was taught growing up, if you will. Um, was, and again, if you've got three or four people on a station, if you're lucky enough, right. is uh, make it very obvious that you're holding a notepad and pen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, they, and drivers can see that, and they know that you're actually watching for passing under yellow. Also, if a car is on fire, yeah. waving the fire bottle at them. Yes is also extremely effective <laughs> because it a lot is. of times the driver might not know if they, especially if it's in the rear of the car, if the rear brakes are on fire or, or if the fuel tanks on fire, they might be just doing their thing and not paying attention to their mirrors or not be able to see it in their mirrors. So um, waving the fire bottle, literally picking it up over your head and waving it back and forth um, that will get their attention and they will do something. <laughs> so, if I can throw a plug to a friend's video on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you look up July Fry Fire, um, a, a friend uh, who drives a Formula 500 
um, sorry, George, um, <laughs> experienced a uh, rather cataclysmic engine failure going down the back stretch at Road Atlanta. Uh, I was flagging at turn 10, um, and the call came in from eight that there was a car on fire coming down the, the back stretch. Right. Um, I was able to get out from behind the wall with the bottle. Um, and when George came over the crest of the hill at uh, nine, he was hard driver's left. And as soon as he saw that I was standing there with the bottle, waving the bottle over my head, he found a gap in traffic and got hard driver's right and right. pulled up right at my feet. Yeah. Um, and that's the other reason why we do that at the start of the weekend to show people where the, st- the start of the day, where the, where the staffed stations are. And yep. probably the most important reason, because it does no good if your car is on fire to drive up to a corner station that doesn't have any human beings at it. Correct. Um, and, and, you know, and if you can get to a station with a human that has a fire bottle, you know, our first job is to make sure that the driver gets out safe. But we will attempt, if you are safe, and we can do it safely, to make sure your car doesn't burn to the ground. You know, Absolutely. We will try. <laughs> it's not always possible, but we That's, will try. No, it's not. It's definitely not always possible. So, but yeah. All right. I got to tell you, uh, good info, Ben. Love having you on. And, uh, you know, uh, it's um, this is stuff that I'm, and, and I'm going to put it in the notes. Oh, and by the way, um, I will put a link to that video in the show notes. So okay. you don't have to worry about looking it up. Just uh, go to the show notes, click the link, and uh, we'll get it there for you without any, without any issues there. Um, good stuff, Ben. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm always willing to talk about flagging. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so that is uh, Flagging 201 here on Inside the SCCA. Uh, That is going to do it for this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. And eventually, not too long down the road, all these are going to be live video as well on the Racing Network on YouTube. So look forward to that. Uh, also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media if you want to find out who our next guest is. Leave a question on Twitter. It's RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I am Brian Polanski. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. The Inside the SCCA podcast is an independent media outlet owned, operated, and managed by Rule 15 Productions. Rule 15 Productions uses the SCCA name with permission, but without direction or influence from the Sports Car Club of America.